Welcome, welcome, welcome everyone to The Dark Parts, a show where we explore the darkest parts of history, the world, and your mind. I'm your host, Heath, and with me today, as always, is the lovely Queen of Scream, Daphne. Daphne, how you doing? I am doing great. I'm excited to finally put up our Halloween decorations. How are you doing? I know. Doing? I know. We've been a little bit behind. We talked about that in a Going West episode that we have not put up our decorations yet, but it's happening this week. Finally. So hopefully you guys are doing that too because it's the best month and we're already so behind on that. And today's episode kind of feels not Halloween-y, but I feel like I associate it more with this time of year for sure. Uh, yeah, I definitely do as well. Um, today... We are talking about a spooky creature that all of you have heard about. Something I'm going to be for Halloween. Oh, wait, you are? Yeah. I'm, uh, I am going to be Nadja from What We Do in the Shadows. And Very I just cool. got my call. I have to try it on and make sure it looks good. But that's what I'm planning to be. And Heath, you are going to be? I am going to be a rock and roll Frankenstein. Love I it. got some super sick platform boots. I'm going to look really badass. But we will talk more about our Halloween plans in our Halloween episode coming in... Two weeks? Two weeks. Cool. All right. Hit it. All right. Today, we're talking about vampires. Defined as a corpse supposed in European folklore to leave its grave at night to drink the blood of the living by biting their necks with long pointed canine teeth. Now, I'm not telling you something that you don't already know unless you're like the weirdest person alive and just haven't heard of vampires. But according to the Atlanta Vampire Alliance, yes, that's a real thing, about 5,000 vampires currently live in the U.S. What? 50 of them in New Orleans alone. And I know you love New Orleans, so I had to throw that fact in there. I, that makes me want to go back even more. And I know what you're picturing. A person turning into a bat or murdering people for their blood. But these individuals who claim to be vampires often file their teeth into fangs, and some state that they have medical conditions that require them to drink blood and live nocturnal lifestyles. But we'll save that subject for another episode, because today we have a story that caused a lot of controversy among the citizens of London. So dust off those glue-on fangs that you got from Spirit Halloween about six years ago and bring a few cloves of garlic with you as we put a vamp stamp on the mystery that we call the Highgate Vampire. I remember recently we were watching some show or like video where a guy would poke the back of someone's neck like three times and just like suck on the back of their shoulder to drink their blood. What was yeah. that from? Actually, I was doing research for this episode in particular, and I came across that video oh. of this guy. Like, But it was like was, consensual. Right, right. He was in New Orleans, and he would like ask people if he could suck their blood, and they would yes. come over, and he would like prick their back and then just like suck like a little bit of blood out of their back. It's so weird to see. It was really just unsettling and bizarre that people, I mean, he pays them to do that, and people are willing to do that. So yeah, absolutely. Very interesting. Anyway, so now before we get into the bloody details that we're about to discuss, let's first talk about where our story takes place, the Highgate Cemetery. It's located in North London and is comprised of two sites, each on either side of Swain's Lane in Highgate next to Waterloo Park. The main gate is located on Swain's Lane just north of Oakshot Avenue, but there's another disused gate on Chester Road. 
It's home to about 170,000 corpses marked by 53,000 grave sites across both sites and was opened in 1839. So it's a fairly large cemetery. Yeah, quite large. And it, along with six other large cemeteries, were created around London and known as the Magnificent Seven in order to cope with the large number of deceased individuals within the city limits during that time. Within months of its opening, Highgate became a very popular and fashionable place to be buried due to its surrounding beauty of trees, shrubbery, and wildflowers, and even the famous German philosopher Karl Marx was buried there, so there's that. The cemetery also contained many Gothic tombs and buildings, and most notably was Egyptian Avenue that consisted of 16 vaults, which each contained 12 coffins. But as the years passed, the once beautiful, depending on how you look at it, cemetery soon fell into significant disrepair after World War II. The ivy and moss became overgrown, half covering the headstones and reclaiming the earth. But in our opinion, that made it look even more spectacular. Yeah, definitely. It looks even more beautiful now that it's like disheveled. Right. <laughs> Which I, I, I hate like, uh, to me, cemeteries Is that the that, right word? Disheveled? Yeah, I think so. Like uh, to me, cemeteries that look so new with polished like marble headstones, I guess because it's not that kind of old creepy cemetery look that we associate want, I yeah guess. with like fun and halloween yeah and this just makes me think of the hollywood forever cemetery and how old and spooky it is in that way too i don't remember what they're called i don't think they're called crypts they're like those stone um little like houses where people's and they have the family name above them i don't remember what they're called that's gonna bug me anyway <laughs> I'll, I'll think about it later so back to the highgate cemetery so by the 1960s, Highgate had turned into such a vibe that even horror films and TV shows began to be filmed there, including From Beyond the Grave, Tales from the Crypt, The Walking Dead, Fantastic Beasts, and funny enough, Taste the Blood of Dracula, among many others. But our story today doesn't even start on the grounds of the Highgate Cemetery, but it actually begins, ironically, at the site of another North London cemetery, called Tottenham Park Cemetery, 8.4 miles north of Highgate. See, back in 1968, actually on the night of Halloween, a group of people interested in a cult visited the Tottenham Park Cemetery, but they weren't there to honor the dead. Instead, what police found the next day had them scratching their heads. It appeared that the visitors had gathered flowers from other gravesites around the area and placed them on the ground to form an arrow pointing to one particular grave. Spooky. And when police investigated that grave, they found that it had been dug up. But what's even more interesting is when they opened the lid to the wooden casket in the ground, they found an iron stake in the form of a cross that had been driven through the lid and into the breast of the corpse inside. Now, this, of course, led police to believe that the vandals had been worried about the grave containing a vampire, and this was reported a few days later on November 2nd, 1968, in the London Evening News. Now, let's fast forward to 1970 in a letter written to the Hampstead and Highgate Express on February 6th. Again, 1970, a 24-year-old man named Alan David Ferrant, who went by David, 
expressed that on Christmas Eve of 1969, so just a few months prior, he had witnessed a, quote, gray figure with red glowing eyes that he considered to be supernatural roaming the grounds of Highgate Cemetery. He said, quote, the area turned icy cold as if I'd stepped into a refrigerator. The figure seemed to be draining me of energy, and I felt like I was losing control of my normal faculties. It felt like a vivid dream, like I wanted to wake up but couldn't. Realizing I was under intense psychic attack, I repeated mentally a Kabbalistic incantation used to repel evil forces. It disappeared, but I decided the reports were true. But even more strange is that there were other people who corroborated his story and they too had seen this mysterious figure lurking in the shadows. A week later, several people replied to a story in the paper explaining that they had seen a variety of ghosts in the cemetery, which included a tall man in a hat, a spectral cyclist, a woman in white, a face glaring through the bars of the cemetery gate, a figure wading in a nearby pond, a white or pale gliding form, random bells ringing, and voices calling from the dark. But when this gray figure that David Ferrand had mentioned in the paper could not be explained, another young man put in his two cents on the matter and thus began the explosion of this story. So a 25-year-old photographer named Sean Manchester, who was also interested in the supernatural and unexplained, just like David Ferrant, shared his thoughts in an article titled, Does a Vampire Walk in Highgate? Published by the Ham and High newspaper on February 27th, 1970. Can't help but picture like a really sad yeah, vampire. <laughs> like a, a vampire. He's so fucking sad and depressed. <laughs> I guess that's what they used to call a vampire. It was spelled W-A-M-P-Y-R. I feel like I knew that. In, it's in the back of my brain. Yeah. So anyway, Sean also spoke to locals, including a schoolgirl named Elizabeth, who had seen the vampire when walking down Swain's Lane. She began having terrible nightmares in which something evil tried to come into her bedroom. Eventually, two wounds appeared on her neck, as if she had been bitten, and she started to display symptoms of anemia. Sean and Elizabeth's boyfriend filled the room with garlic, crucifixes, and holy water, and her condition apparently improved. Then there was a girl named Jacqueline, who said that she had woken in the middle of the night to find something cold clutching her hand. The next morning, she noticed some deep tears in her hand where she had tried to force her hand free. Jacqueline and her younger brother soon developed a fascination that kept drawing them towards Highgate Cemetery, where Sean Manchester claimed the vampiric infection had started. This is what Sean said in his article in the Hammond Hive newspaper. It said, quote, We don't want to frighten you, but the ghost of Highgate Cemetery might be a vampire, so says Sean Manchester, the president of the British Occult Society. He claims to have carried out extensive research and investigation into the matter. Mr. Manchester said, quote, The phenomenon reported by Highgate people in letters to the Ham and High is not merely the apparition of an earth-based spirit, which is relatively harmless, but much worse. That of a vampire, or as it is more popularly known, a vampire. 
So his theory is that the king vampire of the undead, originally a nobleman who dabbled in black magic in medieval Wallachia, uh, quote, somewhere near Turkey, walks again. His followers eventually brought him to England in a coffin at the beginning of the 18th century and bought a house for him in the West End. And his unholy resting place became Highgate Cemetery. Sean then went on to say, quote, When parts of Britain were plagued by vampirism centuries ago, the Highgate area was the center of a lot of activity and it has been ever since. And now that there is so much desecration of graves by Satanism, I am convinced that this has been happening in Highgate Cemetery in an attempt by a body of Satanists to resurrect the King Vampire. He then added, quote, We would like to exorcise the vampire by the traditional and approved method. Drive a stake through its heart with one blow just after dawn between Friday and Saturday. Chop off the head with a grave digger's shovel and burn what remains. This is what the clergy did centuries ago, but we'd be breaking the law today. Yeah, and it's so funny because usually when you think about like vampires in, you know, in London or in England in general, you think of like the 1800s. But this is all happening literally in the 1970s. Yeah, so crazy. And I didn't know that previously before this episode, I didn't know that had to be done between a Friday and a Saturday after dawn. Yeah, I don't know if he just made that shit up or if that's... that's how the clergy did it I guess ago. that's what he says. So now old David Ferentz saw this article and said, hey, fuck that guy, he stole my thunder, and decided that he was going to be the first person to kill the Highgate vampire. And this is where things got extremely fucking strange. David set a date of Friday, March 13th, of course it was a Friday the 13th, 1970, to finally complete his self-proclaimed act of heroism and send this king vampire back to hell. But he wouldn't be alone, because you guessed it, Sean Manchester showed up to also complete the task. But because this paranormal feud stirred up so much commotion in London and the surrounding areas, that very night, over 100 self-proclaimed vampire hunters showed up to the Highgate Cemetery where they were met by 40 police officers trying to guard the gates from anyone entering. But all those officers were no match for the growing mob of people, and eventually they were able to climb the 10-foot walls of the cemetery and make their way in. Now, Manchester and his guests did end up breaking into a catacomb and found a, quote, sinister-looking coffin that seemed that it didn't belong with the rest of the coffins that were inside the catacomb, which was made of black wood, he said. But instead of opening this coffin, Manchester and friends performed an exorcism with holy water and laid some cloves of garlic down, and then they just left. Many of the people who had traveled from all over the place to hunt the Highgate vampire said that they had seen something in the dark and were too afraid to continue searching. One man, a 27-year-old from London, was quoted in the newspaper saying, quote, It terrified me. I never believed in anything like this before, but now I am sure that something evil is in that cemetery. I was locked in a cemetery once. Ooh, let's hear about that story. I Sorry to segue, but I just what you just said made me think about it. 
When I was like, I don't know, maybe eight, 17 or 18, um, I used to work at a bakery. And after work, some of my friends and I, like my older friend, like got us alcohol and we were like drinking wine in the cemetery. It was October. We thought it would be like a fun, spooky thing to do. Yeah, as teenagers do. And this cemetery had a ton of really old headstones. So that that was a vibe, you know? Yeah. And there was a bunch of like rolling hills. Anyway, so we were there walking around and we kept avoiding the night guard so that they didn't know that we were in there drinking. And we were there for a while. And then we went to go leave and the gates were chain locked. So we tried to climb the fence, but it was so high. And we tried every single exit and our car was outside. So we couldn't, we had to like walk around the entire cemetery. So how'd you get out? We had to call the police. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah, we literally called the police and we're like, so we're in this cemetery. We're visiting a loved one and we got trapped. And oh, no. like three police cars showed up and had to break the lock. Oh, shit. Yeah. Did they know that you were drunk? No, we like ditched, we like threw away all of our alcohol. Like I think we had like a couple bottles of wine or something and we had to throw them away, but we, we had to wait for them for like 40 minutes. It Damn. was really crazy. That's kind of embarrassing to yeah. be honest. <laughs> Okay. Anyway, so I also want to go back just a moment and talk about an event that may have been the very origin of the Highgate Vampire. So before the vandalism of Tottenham Park and before David Ferrant and Sean Manchester became involved. So one night in 1963, about seven years prior to any of the events that we've talked about already, there was a couple who remained anonymous who claimed that they had actually had a face-to-face encounter with the Highgate vampire. This couple was walking down Swain's Lane, remember the road that the cemetery is located on, when they passed by the North Gate. It's told that what they saw that night terrified them for years to come. They saw a tall, dark figure floating feet above the ground behind the railings of the gate. His eyes were glowing just like other witnesses had described, and they were so transfixed on the adrenaline and fear that they felt that they were completely frozen in their tracks. The odd thing is that we're not sure if this was reported at the time or years later, but it does feel like this could have been the first recorded encounter. Yeah, it seems like this is. And during this time, vampire films were becoming very popular. So some speculate that this is what, you know, could have caused people's imaginations to become enthralled in the mystery. But let's fast forward again, sorry for jumping around, to just after that wild night in Highgate that pushed the story into the media. So in the weeks that followed that epic vampire hunt coordinated by David and Sean, many other strange things began to happen. Animal corpses, including cats and foxes, began to turn up all over the cemetery and appeared to have been sacrificed by one or more occult groups. Then, on August 1, 1970, the charred remains of a dead woman was found near one of the catacombs, and police suspected that it was used in a black magic demonstration. Now, I, I, I didn't read whether or not this woman was murdered, or if they had just dug up uh, a deceased woman and burned her body. That's kind of what I'm assuming probably happened here, um, since I couldn't find any other information on it. But still, really uh, disturbing. Yeah, very messed up. So after this incident was revealed, 
it appeared that David and Sean began to up their activity in the cemetery, mainly stalking the grave sites at night in their endless search to find and destroy the Highgate vampire. That sounds so freaky to do, though. Like, imagine being in a cemetery at night, specifically looking for a vampire that you wholeheartedly believe is there. Yeah, it's like, it's not even like, ooh, there might be something spooky in there. They're, they, like, believe in this 100%. Yeah, like, even when I was in that cemetery at night, like, we were kind of creeped out because it's a cemetery at night. But especially if you fully believe that you, that a vampire is in there and you're looking for it to try to stake it, like, that's intense. Yeah, definitely. So a week after that charred body was found, David Ferrant was apprehended in a nearby churchyard with a crucifix and a wooden stake in his hands, and he was charged with trespassing. But when he appeared in the courthouse for this issue, the charges were dropped because he hadn't been in an enclosed area of the cemetery during his arrest. So in the meantime, Sean Manchester and his followers used a psychic to lead them into a vault which they believed contained the vampire. And according to him, they found it. But as he was about to drive a wooden stake through the vampire's heart, one of his followers apparently persuaded him not to because interfering with remains is a major crime in England. So they ended up carrying out a ritual with seven crucifixes, four white candles, and seven cups of holy water with four men and four women present. And funny enough, the people of the town believed him and actually like kind of breathed a sigh of relief that the Highgate vampire had like been defeated. Yeah, so he was like boasting about how he took down the Highgate vampire. And it's just funny because I imagine like the people reading the newspaper and being like, oh my God, yeah, now we have nothing to fear. Like this fucking weirdo killed the vampire. Like we're good now. It really is just crazy to think that in 1970, this was like news. It was happening, know? yeah. But of course, after David Ferrant was found not guilty, he said, you know, let's take this up a notch. And he too gathered followers to try to actually kill the vampire. But unlike Sean, he decided that he wanted to try to communicate with the entity and figure out why it was there in the first place. And he did this by conducting a seance that included two circles, incense, candles, and even a medium. The first time they tried to conduct their ritual, the media interrupted them, so they had to leave. But a year later, he said that he tried again. And this time, the vampire entity, or whatever you want to call it, grabbed the medium by the throat, so they had to break the circle and end the ceremony. At this point, David Ferrant changed his mind about the evil being a vampire, but soon explained that it was some sort of malignant evil force which could not be described. So we have, on one side, we have Sean Manchester saying that it's 100% a vampire and I have defeated it. And now we have, well, first David said uh, that it was a ghost and then he changed his mind when Sean Manchester said it was a vampire and he believed it was a vampire too. And now he's just saying that it's like some sort of malignant evil force. It's just a whole lot of back and forth. Yeah, it's it's a whole lot. Figure it out. Yeah, figure it out, guys. Come on. So with all this controversy between these two dorks and the feud of who had the longer stake, they finally decided that a magician's duel would put an end to whom was the king vampire slayer. Now, this event was set to take place at Parliament Hill on, of course, Friday the 13th of April 1973. 
It was even broadcast in an article of the April 8th edition of the Sunday Mirror newspaper. And this is what the article says, quote, Two witches plan an occult duel to the death at a London tourist spot. The bizarre ceremony will involve naked witches, demon raising, and the slaughter of a cat. Their plans brought a storm of protest yesterday, but the two rivals vowed that nothing would stop the ceremony, which they claim could lead to the death of one of them. Thousands of posters have gone up in North London announcing the duel at Parliament Hill, Highgate, the next Friday the 13th. One of the rivals, 29-year-old Sean Manchester, said, quote, I advise people not to attend. They may easily be horrified. He and the other witch, 33-year-old David Ferrant, will fight from altars 25 yards apart to prove which is supreme in the British occult society. Mr. Manchester said, quote, My opponent intends to raise a demon to destroy me by killing a cat. I will be relying solely on divine power. Mr. Ferrant, a hospital porter, said, quote, Blood must be spilled, but the cat will be anesthetized. that quick break we were just talking about how Sean and David are pretty much dueling and Heath read the quote from David Ferrant who said blood must be spilled but the cat will be anesthetized so is he saying that the cat is going to be have anesthesia so it's not going to feel them killing it which is still really messed up yeah I think that's what's going on and that's why they were talking about um, how there was going to be a bunch of protesters because because of that specifically, actually, there was like animal rights activists that were protesting saying yeah. like, you, you can't just kill a cat to like be some sort of wizard and, and kill your, you know, your, your op or whatever. Right. So, so they're yeah. just in this weird duel. Yeah. In the middle, like for no reason. Yeah. But we're, we're going to talk about that. So as much as these two were adamant about killing each other the whole thing was called off and never actually happened although that would certainly not be the end of this feud because in 1974 so the following year sean claimed that his first few rituals on the vampire were not actually successful but that early on that year he did in fact finally kill the highgate vampire (laughs) so i'm sure that david was pretty pissed about that So according to him, he and his colleagues came upon the same wooden black coffin that they had before, but this time it was located in the cellar of a dark gothic mansion that borders Highgate and Crouch End. Yeah, nobody knows if this mansion actually exists. I think... I feel like these guys just like they just want make shit up. Yeah, they just make shit up. They just want to like portray like they just wish they were a hundred years before. Yeah, exactly. So they apparently dragged the coffin up the stairs and into the main room of the mansion. And there, just as dawn was about to break, he retrieved his sharp wooden stake and with one hard blow pierced through the vampire's heart. He said, quote, It's burning fierce eyes under the many furrowed brow were staring, yellow at the edges with blood red centers unlike anything imaginable. 
The mouth was set in a cruel expression, the lips drawn back. We witnessed the body shell cave in and quickly turn filthy brown, and that itself soon became a sluggish flow of inhuman slime and viscera in the bottom of the casket. He and his followers then burned the coffin, which took several hours, and ground down the bones that were left, according to him. <laughs> yeah, so he said that he killed the vampire beforehand, and now he's saying that, oh, yeah, I didn't actually do it before. But I, I did I failed, do it. But, but actually, I did do it this year. And this, again, is Sean. So when David Ferrant heard about this, he was surely not impressed and believed that Sean Manchester was lying about his feet. So he used the next few weeks to dig up grave sites and bust open tombs in search for the real entity. Soon, police caught on to David's plans in the summer of 1974 in Highgate and finally had enough to arrest him and officially charge him with interfering with remains and vandalizing memorials. He was further convicted of possession of a handgun and ammunition kept at his address, which also contained a black magic altar beneath a massive mural of a diabolical vampiric face that had been featured in various newspapers. His sentence added up to four years and eight months for his crimes, but we have to read you this news article that we found from his time in prison. So this was from the Sunday People magazine, published on October 26th, 1975. It's titled, Naked Witchcraft in the Nick, which is another word for jail, Nick. It says, quote, David Ferrant, self-styled high priest of the British witches, is back in the voodoo business, in jail. Ferrant, 29, is serving a four-year sentence for desecrating a tomb, interfering with a corpse, and threatening detectives. Now a former prisoner has told an amazing story of Ferenc's continuing occult activities behind bars. He says that every night, Ferenc prays naked to the stars and he claims while Ferenc was in the Wormwood prison scrubs, he terrified his cellmate, who by the way was an axe murderer, a fucking axe murderer, so much that the man asked to be put in a pro in protective solitary confinement, which is nobody wants to go in there. Yeah, so literally, David Ferrant is so crazy that he's scared a literal axe murderer to want to be in solitary confinement. Yeah. So I'm continuing continuing with the newspaper article. So Ferrant had placed a curse on the man. When Ferrant was transferred to Blundiston Prison in Suffolk, he continued to bewitch everyone in sight, according to the ex-prisoner. The man said, quote, Everybody was afraid of him. Every night he prays to the stars naked. He wears only a blanket dyed black by washing it with a batch of dark overalls. Even in jail, he has collected a bunch of followers, said the former prisoner. Ferent sometimes holds services in his cell with about four or five other prisoners. The man said, quote, He draws a witch circle on the floor with chalk and seems to go into a trance. I have seen him bless his followers, standing on a chair in his cloak. He never seems to be short of tea or cigarettes. 
He only has to ask for something and some prisoners give it to him. So that's how he's manipulating these other prisoners. He's just like, I will literally fucking curse you if you don't give me tea and cigarettes. It's very culty. So then it says, Ferent keeps jars of herbs in his cell, which he gives to fellow inmates to cure them. The man continued, quote, I have seen somebody go around like in a dream and with his eyes all red after taking some. And he curses people too. He took a disliking to one prisoner, a convicted sex offender, and gave me a tobacco tin to bury in the yard. Soon after, that man got charged with a prison offense and lost remission over it. Now he wants to use the chapel for his services. This had been refused and he is petitioning the home office over it. He also wants his er, he also wants his high priestess allowed to visit him. Yeah, so he is I guess he's asking for like more privileges in prison. Uh, Watch out, he'll curse you if you don't. Yeah, or yeah, he'll just curse <laughs> you with a, a tin of tobacco, I guess. So, well, David served his time, and soon after his release, he began his usual antics of vampire hunting. But at that point, the story had pretty much lost all of its steam, so everybody was kind of like, yeah, man, like we don't believe you anymore. You're just a weirdo. Uh, but the feud between David and Sean Manchester was not over. And soon, they both ended up writing books about their experience, minimizing the other's story. Now, Sean wrote a book called The Highgate Vampire, The Infernal World of the Undead at London's Highgate Cemetery. And David wrote one titled Beyond the Highgate Vampire, a true case of supernatural occurrences and vampirism that centered around London's Highgate Cemetery. And this was released in 1991. Uh, which is obviously like the longest book name I've ever... I was just thinking that. So long. So long. And he also wrote Man, Myth, Manchester, which he released in 2000. Gee, wonder what that one's about. So he went on to publish a few other occult books as well. And then in December of 2002, David was arrested yet again, but this time for harassing Sean and his wife, Sarah. But due to him taking great care to stagger the frequency of incidents so that they fell just outside of the remit for the minimum number of offenses required per month for a case to be successfully prosecuted, sorry, that was really long, he was never actually charged for this. Years later, in April of 2019, David actually passed away after a sustained period of poor health. I don't really, I couldn't really figure out or find out what he actually passed away from. Now, Sean Manchester is still alive and well today and created blogs devoted to vilifying David Ferrant. In 2012, a man named Kevin Chesham published photos of a room in Sean Manchester's home, which he described as, quote, a massed amount of Nazi paraphernalia. Photographs of Hitler giving Nazi salutes, swastikas on the walls, you name it. But Sean's response was to issue a counterblog where he says his, quote, historical militaria collecting hobby has been misrepresented and claimed that Kevin Chesham is actually the real Nazi. As far as the Highgate vampire goes, no one really knows if it exists, but one author of a book called Occult London had this to say, quote, The entire period seems to be caught up with the folk horror revival. The key date here is 1973, the year zero of folk horror, in which The Wicker Man was released, he says. 
Quote, This also happens to be the year in which the feud between Ferent and Manchester was at its height, culminating in the magical duel that was supposed to take place on Parliament Hill, but never materialized. This also happened to be around the same time that the infamous Enfield ghost in England had stirred some controversy as well. So let us know, guys. Actually, if you want us to cover the Enfield ghost, it's a very, very popular ghost story from England. Just let us know and we'll do it. Uh, Yeah, please let us know. So were people just super hyped up on horror films and really let their imaginations run? Or did a real-life vampire stalk the gates of the Highgate Cemetery? You be the judge. So, strangers, what did we learn today? We learned that if you ever want tea or cigarettes in prison, all you have to do is get naked and start praying to the stars. Surely, no inmate nowadays will use a sharpened toothbrush to stab the absolute shit out of you. We also learned that if you ever want to film a cool-looking horror movie, Highgate Cemetery is definitely your place. Not only does it have the perfect Victorian Gothic graveyard feel, But who knows, you might even see some people trying to dig up graves, or better yet, a vampire. And lastly, we learned that sometimes words aren't enough to settle an argument. You may need a good old-fashioned witch duel in the middle of town to really set the record straight. And if this isn't your way of dealing with daily disputes about your neighbor's property line, then I guess you really don't know how to settle a fight. Today's horror tip comes to us from the 1973 film, The Wicker Man. You probably thought I was going to choose a sweet vampire movie or like Dracula or something, but we just can't get the image of the beloved Christopher Lee as a cult leader out of our head. And ironically, he even played the head vampire in the 1958 film, Dracula. So there's that. Okay, here's the tip. If you are a police officer and you're told that kids are going missing on a small island in the middle of nowhere and they want you to investigate, don't do it. Because you might end up as a ritualistic sacrifice in a burning cage. So true. Thank you, everybody, for listening to this episode of The Dark Parts. Yes, thank you guys so much for tuning in. We're going to have another spooky episode ready for you guys for next Thursday. And we just really appreciate all the love so far because Heath and I are so happy to have this show back. And it's good to have a bunch of new people listening, a bunch of old listeners back listening. So thank you guys so much. I really actually do wish that Sean Manchester and David Ferrant did go through with that duel. Like, I can just imagine what that would have been like. Like, just a couple of dorks on a hill, just casting spells at each other from 25 yards away. Uh, really spells at each other. Yeah, just really not doing anything at all. Yeah, I mean, it's still just such a silly story. Yeah, absolutely. But a really fun one. I'm glad you guys came and listened to this episode. Let us know what you think about this one. Yeah, and thank you already for all the emails of suggestions. It really helps Heath and I to know what you guys want to hear because we're trying not to tell stories that are too well-known, and I know some of them kind of are, but it can be hard to find really obscure ones that still have a lot of information, although we are definitely trying, so uh, suggestions are very welcome. Just email thedarkpartspodcast at gmail.com. Oh, and I completely forgot. I just designed a bunch of new merch that is up in the shop. If you head over to thedarkparts.com and hit the shop button, you will see some sweatshirts and a cool t-shirt. So please check it out. I'm going to shout this out in the next episode too, because I should have done that in the beginning. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, definitely. And also a lot of you guys have been asking us to do more creepypastas. So if that's something you guys want to hear more about, please let us know. Please do. All right, guys. 
We'll see you next time in the dark parts. <laughs> <laughs>